0: Amen. All right, well, we're there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, and we've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians on Wednesday night, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we find ourselves in chapter 7 tonight. And uh, chapter 7 is a fairly long chapter, and there's a lot of just really good teaching in this chapter. It's 40 verses long, and uh, so we're not going to go through the entire chapter tonight. Uh, We're going to go through half of it, and then we'll come back and finish the other half. Uh, next week but we're also not going to go through it uh, in 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 order Uh, because what you find in first Corinthians chapter seven which is really interesting is you find the apostle Paul giving advice and he gives advice to different types of groups he gives advice to singles He gives advice to married couples. He gives advice to divorcees or divorced people. He gives advice to widows. And then he comes back and he has this little tangent about contentment, which is advice for everybody. And uh, tonight we're going to focus on the advice for the singles and the married couples. And then we're going to come back next week. And uh, do the advice for the divorcees and for uh, the widows, and we're going to focus on the contentment part next week. But we're going to touch it a little bit tonight. So we're just going to jump around uh, the chapter, but uh, we'll we'll do it in that order just so you kind of understand. So we're going to start with the advice uh, for the singles, and he has four pieces of advice that he gives here for the singles. If you look down at verse number one, is where he begins, and we touched this last week, but let's look at it again especially for the single people in our church, it's always good to refresh these things. First Corinthians 7.1, he says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, and the idea there is that they obviously wrote him a letter, they wrote him asking him about certain things. I'm assuming all of these things that he's addressing about singles and married couples, about uh, people that are divorced and about uh, widows, and he said, I'm going to answer these questions for you. He says, now considering the things whereof ye wrote unto me, he said, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So the first piece of advice that the Apostle Paul gives to singles is that you should not have physical contact with members of the opposite sex. And again, I don't want to belabor this, but he's not talking about shaking hands with someone here all right, or giving somebody a high five or something like that. He's talking about a, in, in a romantic way or in a sensual type way. He says that you should not have physical contact. And, and, and I, I will tell you, even around Christians and fundamental Christians, people act like we're crazy for what I'm about to say. But this is what the Bible says. And I don't believe That, look, if you're not married, you don't need to be holding hands. You don't need to be putting your arm around someone. You don't need to be hugging someone. You don't need to be doing any, you know, kissing and things like that. You say, why? Because it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And the context is about not going into the sin of fornication and not going into those things. Uh, Of course, we talked about this last week. So let me just show you this verse one more time and and we'll move on from that. But if you look at chapter 6... In verse number 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 18, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 uh, says this. It, he says, flee fornication. And the idea is you want to run from it. You want to get as far away from the temptation of fornication as, as possible. He says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. Now, let me talk for a second for, to those of you that have children that are... 10 years old, 11 years old, and younger. You would be smart to go ahead and start figuring out what it is that you want your 17 and 18 and 19 and 20-year-old and 25-year-olds to be doing at those ages and start teaching your children now before it's a battle, before there's the hormones, before there's the passion involved, start teaching them now, hey, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. It's good because oftentimes we come into these young adults and we're trying to teach them things and, and, and we're trying to convince them where we would be doing better if we just convinced them when they were seven years old instead of when they were 17 or when they were eight instead of 18. So, you know, children that are listening to me right now, even if you're not in the age, especially if you're not in the dating age, just decide right now and determine right now that the Bible says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. It's advice that the Apostle Paul gave to singles, and he gave it for a reason. He's telling them to not have a physical contact, uh, uh, a romantic contact with members of the opposite sex. He's the, The advice that he's giving to singles. Then, of course, He gives a second advice in verse number two. Notice what he says. He says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. So the first piece of advice that he gives to singles is do not have a a physical contact with members of the opposite sex. The second piece of advice that he gives to singles is if you cannot keep yourself from fornicating, get married. In, in and what's, what's interesting and what you need to understand about this is that fornication for Christians should never be an option. The Bible says, you know, fornication and uncleanness, those things should not be named among you as become saints. And it's never an option to go down the road. And in fact he's saying, look, it's better for you to just go ahead and flee. It's better for you to just have a a, a rule that that you're you know that you're not going to touch and that you're not going to go down that road. That'd be better. But he says, but if you can't even if you can't control that, if you can't avoid that, then the next best thing is for you to go ahead and get married. Nevertheless, avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Look down at verse number 9, same chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 9. He says, but if they cannot contain, that word contain means control themselves. He says, if they cannot contain, if they can't control themselves, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And and let me just go ahead and, and say this. When the Bible says burn there, the idea is to burn with passion. All right. There's uh, in, in Romans and this is talking about, you know, reprobates, but it talks about how they burned in their lust. OK. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because it's not saying because I've heard people say this Well, they'll say like, well, if you commit fornication, you're going to go to hell you know, you'll lose your salvation. And they'll say, you know, the burn there is referring at you'll lose your salvation and you'll go to hell. Look, the Bible says you can't lose your salvation, okay? The Bible says that it's eternal life. The Bible says that no matter what you do, if you believe on Christ, he made a promise to you he's not going to take it away from you. So you should not commit fornication, but even if you do, you're not going to burn in hell if you believed on Christ. That's heresy. It's talking there about burning in passion, burning in lust. He says it's better for you to marry than to burn. And doesn't that that really fit the context better than adding, you know, heresy to the Bible uh, of like burning in hell? I mean, where's the, you know, that's not really in the context of this chapter. So we see that we, the, you know, the advice for the singles, do not have a physical contact with members of the opposite sex. Um, if you can't keep yourself from fornicating, then you should get married. And look, today that's the opposite advice of what young people are getting. Today, young people are being told, Don't get married, go shack up together, go fornicate for years and years and years, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, if you cannot contain, let them marry. To avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Go down to verse number 32. And again, uh, we're, we're dealing with the chapter tonight, not in order, but by subject. So we're going to deal with all the verses that have to do with singles, and then we're going to transition into the verses that have to do with married couples. But here's, here's advice number three that he gives to uh, singles. Look at verse 32. But I would have you without carefulness, he that is unmarried careth. Now, you see the word care there or careth? The word care there has to do about being worried or being, you know, burdened with. He says, he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord. Now, this is how it should be. And and he says how he may please the Lord. So here's advice number three for singles. Take advantage of your freedom and serve God when you're single. Now, that's not to say that you can't serve God when you're married, all right? But the Apostle Paul is actually going to talk about this uh, in this chapter. But here's what you need to understand. If you're single tonight, if you don't have the burden... Or if you don't, you're not bound, you know, if you don't have the husband to care for or the wife to care for or the children to care for. If there's anybody in this church or in any church that is on fire for the things of God, that is faithful to all of the services, that is out soul winning every week without excuse. I mean, if there's anybody that should be on fire, it should be the singles. But you know, unfortunately, and I'm not saying this for our church, because we've got a lot of single people in our church that love God and they, and they serve God. But you know what i found is in most churches, it's the singles that are the most backsliding. You know, you, you you get these ladies with four or five kids and they're faithful to soul winning. You get these men that, are, you know, have a wife and have children and they're faithful to soul winning. And then you got singles that literally, you know, have to get up and just get some clothes on and show up for soul winning on Saturday. And it's like they don't have the character to do it. You know, they don't have the character. And, you know, shame on you. I mean, if you can't do it, if you can't show up for soul winning when it's you, how are you going to do it when it's you and four kids? How are you going to do it when it's you and, you know, six kids or whatever it is? And look, if there's anyone that should be on fire for the things of God, it's people that are not burdened. And that's not to excuse those that are married and have children. But I'm just saying, I mean, if anybody's doing it, look, he's saying he that unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord. And really, that's how it should be. It should be those that are unmarried that are the most on fire and most faithful and most willing to show up and most willing to get to the work days and most willing. But unfortunately, that's not what we find with most singles today. And look, and and I'm I'm not saying we had a lot of singles in our church that love the Lord and praise the Lord for them, but it's just the truth. Look at verse 33. But he that is married cares for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. We'll come back to that. Verse 34. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. And the word virgin there is a reference to a single. And you say, well, why does he just assume that all singers are virgin? Because he, he's speaking as in the way that things should be. This is how it should be. This is how it should be said among, you know, you shouldn't have to say like, oh, well, you know, half of our singles aren't virgin. He's saying, look, there's a difference between a wife and a virgin. You say, why does he use those two? Because those are the terms that should be said amongst believers. You should either be, look, ladies, you should either be a wife or you should be a virgin. You should either be a husband, guys, or you should be a virgin. That's what the Bible says. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. Notice what he says. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord. This is how it should be. Notice what he says, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit, but she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. We'll get back to that. Look at verse 35. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend, notice what he says, upon the Lord. Notice these two words, without distraction. Look, that's the life, that should be the life of Christian singles, that they are attending upon the Lord without distraction. Now, keep your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. In, the, in your Old Testament, if you open up your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely find the book of Psalms. After Psalms, you've got Proverbs, and then you've got the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter number 12, and look at verse number 1. Every young person ought to memorize this verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1. Ecclesiastes 12.1 says this, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, "I have no pleasure in them." The Bible says to young people, "Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth." You know, don't waste your time. Don't waste your life. Make sure right now, while you're single, while you're waiting for God's will and for the person that you'll spend the rest of your life with. Hey, during this time, you ought to be attending to the things of God without distraction. It ought to be said of you that you, in the days of your youth, remembered the Lord and served God. And you know, the, the biggest problem that I've found, and keep your place here in Ecclesiastes, because we're going to come back towards Psalms later in the, in the message, and I want you to be able to get to it fast, but go back to 1 Corinthians 7. The biggest problem that single people have is that they get so caught up in this idea of finding the right type of guy right? Or finding the right type of girl. They're looking for the right partner. They're looking for the right husband and the right wife. And let me explain something to you. Instead of being so worried about finding the right type of guy, why don't you work at becoming the right type of girl? Or instead of getting so concerned and finding the right girl, why don't you just worry about finding the right guy? Because, you know, here's what I believe. I believe that God will help you and God will bless you in your marriage if before you get married, you worked at becoming the right type of husband, the right type of wife. You know, prepare for the day when you meet that person who who you'll marry and you'll spend the rest of your life with. But today, young people are so concerned with finding Mr. Right, you know, and then they find Mr. Right or they find Mrs. Right. But they're all wrong. You know, their, their lives are all messed up. Hey, work on yourself during this time when you're single. Work on yourself and work on loving the Lord and, 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 and uh, serving Him. And this is what the Apostle Paul, and keep in mind, the Apostle Paul himself is speaking as a single man. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 7, and let me go ahead and say, you find this, you find the emphasis, in this chapter, when he's talking to the singles, we're about to transition to the couples here in a minute. But he, the emphasis is in this, again, last part of verse 35, that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. And you know, something that my wife and I are now and, you know, in the future and, and until the day that our children get married, the advice that we are going to give our children, that we are giving our children is that when it comes to finding a mate, when it comes to finding a spouse, whether it's a wife for our sons or uh, a husband for our daughters, is that they should be looking for someone who is busy serving the Lord before they ever came into that picture. Because this is the problem that people have is they want to go marry someone. And look, I've been in ministry now for you know, over seven years. I've dealt with a lot of couples. I've dealt with a lot of marriages. I've dealt with a lot of issues. And you know what you find is that people will marry someone who they think they can change. Oh, well, he'll get spiritual after we get married. You know, he'll, he'll start you know, coming to church after we... Or she'll get spiritual. Look... If you think that you're going to marry someone and change them, you are in for a rough ride at marriage. You don't want to find someone and and figure out, well, well, you know, I'm going to have to change everything about her. I'm going to have to change everything about him. Or maybe she'll get spiritual or maybe he'll get spiritual or maybe he'll go get a job. Look, if he doesn't have a job when you're not married, why would he get a job after you get married? You know, or maybe he'll do this or maybe she'll do that. Look, that is a mistake. Find someone who's busy in the Lord's work, who's doing everything they're supposed to be doing before you got in the picture. Because look, then you'll know their motives are right. Then you'll know that they really, you know, my wife and I, I met my wife when we were 17 years old and I got her saved. But honestly, we did not date. There was not even any, you know, we were just friends. It wasn't even an idea for us to start dating or anything. You know, for a long time, she just came to church. She, you know, uh, started going soul winning. She started going to all the services. She started changing the way she dressed, you know, and started uh, dressing modestly and things like that. And here's the thing. You know, there's nothing in my heart that I have this concern like, did she just do that? You know, she did that because she loved the Lord. And if we would have never got married, I believe that my wife would just be a soul winning Baptist somewhere you know, and, and here's the thing, and in fact, it wasn't until after, you know, a while of her just being faithful in church that, you know, I started realizing, like, wait, this girl's got it all put together, you know, this is a good thing, this is a good, a good idea, and, you know, and then we started dating, of course, we got married, but look, you want to make sure you are busy finding a guy, finding a girl, who is busy in the work of the Lord. And you're to if you think, oh, I'm going to find some guy, he doesn't go to church, he doesn't love the Lord, he's into sports, and he's into all these stupid things, but I'm going to get him married, and I'm going to drag him to church. That's not going to work. Look, plenty of women have tried it. It doesn't work. Just learn from other people's mistakes and don't go down that road. Make sure you say, well, what am I looking for? You're looking for someone who's attending upon the Lord without distraction. You're looking for someone who is unmarried, and they are concerned with, they care about the things of the Lord, they're doing it for God. You're looking for the person who's remembering the, their creator in the days of their youth. So we saw number one, that he says, don't have a physical uh, relationship, contact with members of the opposite sex. And we saw number two, that he says, if you cannot, if you cannot keep fornicating, then get married. All right. Uh, And then he says, number three, if you are uh, a number point number three, I don't even know if I gave you the point, but he says you're not commanded. I'm sorry. Point number uh, three is if if you want to get married, realize what comes with that. And what comes with that is the fact that you need to be uh, serving the Lord before you get married so that you'll be able to find the right type of person. Here's point number four. You are not commanded to stay single. But if you can, it's a good idea. Now, that's not me saying that. That's the Apostle Paul saying that. And I'll show you that in the scripture. But it's interesting what he says. Look at verse 6. He says, but I speak this by permission. Now, notice he says, I speak this by permission. He's not saying that what he's going to say is not inspired by God. All right? You need to understand that everything in the Bible is inspired by God Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, all right? So it's not that he's about, it's not that he's taking a break and saying, hey, God's not, because he says, but I speak this by permission and not of commandment. He's not saying like, hey, God's not speaking anymore, it's just me. What he Here's what he's saying. He's saying what I'm about to say, it's inspired and preserved word, but he says what I'm about to say is allowed, I've been allowed to give you this advice. But when he says, and not of commandment, he said, I just want you to understand, this is not a commandment of God. Like, you have to do this. He says, this is advice that I want to give you, and you would be, you know, you'd be smart to do it if you want to do it. But he said, this is not a commandment. You don't have to do these things. This is just the advice that he's giving us, but it's approved by God and sanctioned by God. Look at verse 7. He says, for I would and what he's saying is, my will, or what I will, or what I wish, is that if I had it my way, he said, I would, that all men were even as I, myself. Now, what is he saying there? The Apostle Paul is a single man. He's not married. And, and we actually get the proof for that in this, con- in this chapter. We'll see that. And in other places, of course, where he talks about the fact that he's not married. But he says, I would that all men were even as myself. He's saying, he said, I would that that, uh, everybody was uh, single like I am. But every man had his proper gift, gift of God. Now, here's what he's saying. Not everyone has the gift or the ability to remain single like I can. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, wouldn't it be great? Because look, the apostle Paul accomplished a lot for God. I mean, the man did so much for the cause of Christ and, you know, you basically had the 12 apostles and the church of Jerusalem, they dealt with reaching, you know, Israel and Judea and Samaria and then you had Paul who basically reached everyone else, right? Unto the uttermost part. Now look, if you go back and look at it today, who do you think was the most effective? I mean, is Israel today just a powerhouse of Christianity? Is it a powerhouse of fundamentalism? It, there's, probably, there's not that many believers in Jerusalem tonight. But yet, all over the Gentile world, there are people who are saved, who are soul-winning, who love the Lord. And, and we owe our salvation, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ, but we owe it to the Apostle Paul, who took the gospel to the Gentiles. But look, one of the reasons that the Apostle Paul was so effective, you want to know why? It's because the guy was single. He didn't have a wife. He didn't have children. He, he was able to just pour himself. He talks about the fact that he worked night and day. Now look, if you're, if you're married and you're working night and day, you're not right with God. Because look, we're about to see in this passage, you're supposed to be giving time to your family and giving time to your wife and giving time to your children. But you know what? If you're single, you're free to just serve God with all you've got. Give him everything you got. And Paul is saying, Paul is saying, I would that all men were even as myself. And if you understand what he's saying, here's what he's saying. And I would agree with the fact, wouldn't it be great if there was 10 Apostle Pauls? I mean, he was saying like, I wish there was more people like me that could accomplish and do the things that I am accomplishing because of the fact that he's a single man. So notice what he says verse 7. He says, for I would that all men were even as myself. Now, before you think that I'm saying that nobody get married, you're counseling all weddings. Okay, look, then he says this, but every man hath his proper gift of God. He's saying, I understand not everybody has the gift to remain single for the rest of their life. Not everybody has that ability He's saying, I just wish they did. I wish there was more people like me. That's what he's saying. One after this man or another after that. Look at verse 8. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, he says, it is good for them if they abide even as I. So notice, he's, he's saying, I'm telling those that are single, that are unmarried, and he says, I'm telling the widows that it would be good for them if they just stayed in the same state that I am in right now, the Apostle Paul is saying, which is the state of being single. Look at verse 25. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 25. He says, Now concerning virgins, and again, he's just talking to single people. Now concerning virgins, he says, I have no commandment of the Lord. So again, He's, he's telling you, what I'm about to tell you is not a commandment. You don't have to do what I'm telling you. I, this is not a commandment, yet I give my judgment. He said, I'm just giving you my advice. This is not a, ju- a commandment from God. You don't have to do this, but here's my advice. As one that hath obtained... Notice what he says. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment. He says, I'm giving, you my, ju- I'm giving my judgment to virgins as one that hath obtained mercy... Of the Lord to be faithful. Okay, Paul, to be faithful in what? He's saying, I have been faithful in being a virgin. He says, I have been faithful in being single. He says, I am not going around sleeping around. I'm not fornicating. I'm not being a whoremonger. Uh, you know, he's, he, he's obviously he's not a female, but if he was a female, he said, I'm not a whore. He says, I have been faithful in, in my virginity. Because he says, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that I obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. And listen to me, whether you're like the Apostle Paul who remains unmarried for the rest of their life or whether you're someone who's going to get married eventually one day, you, everybody should strive to have the testimony of saying that up until the day that they got married, that they have the testimony of being faithful in that and being pure and in being clean and in being able to say, Paul was saying, look, the Lord has helped me to be faithful in this aspect of my life. Now, I want to just, uh, you know, show you something real quickly. Keep your place on 1 Corinthians 7 and go to Matthew chapter number 19. First book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. And and let me show it because recently there's been a lot of uh, false doctrine taught about this idea, to the point where it's just a joke and ridiculous. But there is an aspect of this that's true in the Bible, and we actually see it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Matthew chapter 19, look at verse number 12. Matthew chapter 19, verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Matthew 19 and verse 12. Notice what he says. He says, for there are some eunuchs. Now, what is a eunuch? A eunuch is someone who has lost their ability to reproduce, to be with someone. And he says, for there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb. So the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, some people were born eunuchs. And there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. He's saying, some people were forced to become eunuchs. And you read a lot about that in the Old Testament, where, you know, uh, they'll conquer a land, and then they'll take men that are supposed to serve, you know, maybe the queens or something like that, and they'll be made eunuchs so that they can't attack them or or have a physical relationship with them. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, some people were born, uh, were, were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. And then he says this, all right? And then he says, And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake. All right, now let me go ahead and say this. He's not saying literally, all right? He's not saying that these people deform themselves. But what he's saying is that there are some people that have chosen to keep their virginity, that have chosen to not get married, that have chosen to be singles. For the kingdom of heaven's sake. Now, here's here's what he's not saying, because today you got this born that way ministries that takes this passage and just try, you know, and says that these eunuchs are confused homosexuals. Now, I don't. Did anybody catch that from that passage? Because it was the born that way born that way ministry said, oh yeah, there's these eunuchs. They don't have a desire. You know, it's like, you got to be you, you got to uh, a confused homosexual to come up with this stuff. Because they're like, you, there's these eunuchs, they don't have a desire, so somehow they get confused into sleeping around with a bunch of men. Uh, how do you confuse yourself into sleeping around with a bunch of men? I don't really know how that happens. You know, it's like, well, they don't have a desire. Well, Romans 1 says that they burned in their lust one towards another. So, you know, what the Lord Jesus Christ is talking here, he's saying there are some people... Not that they're confused sodomites. He's saying there are some people that have chosen to remain single and to not give themselves uh, in that area of their life for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And you say, give me an example of that. I'll give you the perfect example, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans 1, by the way, who preached against the sodomites, is someone who made himself a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He he just, he could have got married. He tells us in other passages that he could have led a wife. He could have got married. He could have had children. But he chose not to, not because he was commanded to. He just chose for himself. He felt, and I think he was right, that he could accomplish more with his life by not having the burden of having a spouse and having children. Go back to 1 Corinthians 7. Now, again, he's not telling people you have to do this. But he is in this passage just throwing that out there and say, you know, you could, you could choose to be a single person for the rest of your life and serve the Lord. Now, let me say this, and he's going to explain this here in a second. In fact, let's look at it before I say anything. 1 Corinthians 7, look at verse 26. 1 Corinthians 7, 26, notice what he says. I suppose, therefore, that it is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. A good for man, it's good for man so to be what? So to be single. So to be a virgin. If they could do it. That's what he's saying. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loose. Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. Verse 28. But and if thou marry, Thou hast not sinned, right? So he's not saying there's, anything, there's no wrong with getting married, right? It's good to get married. Marriage is a good thing. It's a gift that God gave us. He's not saying it's wrong to get married. He says, but if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. He says there's nothing wrong with getting married. Nevertheless, here's what he's saying, though. He's saying there's nothing wrong getting married. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh. And this is the Apostle Paul, not me saying this. He's saying, look, if you're going to get married, there's going to be troubles and trials and problems that come along. That Because look, what is marriage? It's taking two individuals. The Bible says twain shall become one flesh. They'll become one. You leave father and mother and you cleave unto your wife and you become one flesh. And look... Whenever you take two individuals and make them one, there's going to be, especially in those first few years, some issues in adapting to each other and figuring out how marriage goes and, 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 and time that you have to devote towards your marriage. And he's saying, look, there's trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. Now look at verse 36, six. First Corinthians seven thirty-six. 1 Corinthians 7.36. Notice what he says. But but if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she plasts the flower of her age and need so require, let him do what he will. Notice what he says. He sinneth not. Let them marry. He's saying, look... There's nothing wrong getting married. It's good to get married. And look, not everybody has this gift. I, think right now, I don't have this. I'm glad that I'm married to my wife. I'm thankful for my wife, and I'm thankful for our children. You know, he's just saying there may be some people out there who have this gift, who could do this. Look at verse 37. Nevertheless, he that, standeth, he that standeth steadfast. Okay, so notice what he says. He says if there's a young person out there that can stand steadfast, meaning they are determined, In his heart, having no necessity. So they they don't have a need to have to fulfill that physical desire. You say, well, do they not have a need because they're confused sodomites? No. Notice what he says. But hath power over his own will. He's just saying they don't have to because these people just can control themselves. They can contain. They have power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart. They decided and they made a decree in their heart that they want to stay single. That he will keep his virgin. That he will keep. They've so decreed in their heart that he will keep his virginity. Knows virginity. what he says. Do it well. Paul is saying, look, if someone is standing steadfast, they have power over their own will, they're highly disciplined, highly temperate, they've decreed in their heart to keep his virgin, he says, he doeth well. He says it's a good thing. Look at verse 38. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well. Again, nothing wrong with getting married. And look, I would say most people need to get married. Most people are not the Apostle Paul. Most people are going to fall into sin and do stupid things if they're not married. But there are some people out there that God has given a gift to remain single. Verse 38, so then he that giveth her in marriage, knows what he says, doeth well. Nothing wrong with getting married. But he that giveth her not in marriage, he says, doeth better. He says it's better if you can remain single. Now, you don't have to turn, go, go to Proverbs, if you kept your place in Ecclesiastes, Right before Ecclesiastes, you got the book of Proverbs. While you turn there, let me read for you Genesis two eighteen. Genesis two eighteen says this: and the Lord God said, it "Is good." It is, excuse me. It is not good that the man should be alone. God said in Genesis, "It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him." And I just want to make it clear that you understand. I believe, and the reason that God said that is because for most men, it's not good that the man, you know, the, the, the majority of men, it's not good that the man should be alone. But there are some people out there like the Apostle Paul that could do it. Proverbs 18, look at verse 22. Proverbs 18 and verse 22. Proverbs 18, 22, notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 18, 22 says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtain a favor of the Lord. So I want you to notice, the Bible's not down on marriage, all right? This is just the one chapter where Paul, he says, I speak of permission. He said, "I, I God gave me some permission to, to maybe throw an option out there that you don't know, to throw an option out there that you haven't thought about. But he said, you know, because look, this is what I know, and this is what Paul knows about human nature, and we're going to get into it more next week. But here's what we all know about human nature. It is human nature to always think That the grass is greener on the other side. And you know what you have? This is what I've learned in ministry. You have a whole bunch of singles, and you know what their number one complaint is, their number one issue is, I'm not married. And then you got people that get married, and you know what their number one complaint is, I'm not single. You know, and you got all these people that are married that wish they were single. And you got all these people that are single that wish they were married. You got people that don't have kids that wish they had kids. You got people that have kids that wish they didn't have as many kids, you know. (laughs) And it's like everybody always thinks that the other person has better. You know what? Just learn to be content in the state you find yourself in. Just in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Because here's what I know. And look, especially for you singles, this chapter ought to be encouraging to you that God can bless you and help you and give you the gift and the ability to stay pure while you're single. And you may be an Apostle Paul who does it for your whole life and serves God and does mighty things for God. Or you you may just be someone who gets married later on in life. You know, Isaac got married when he was 40 years old or whatever. But here's what I know. There has no temptation taken you but such is a common man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So here's what I know. If you are single tonight, you can be pure, and there is no temptation taken you that you can't overcome through the power of God. And you don't have to be a fornicator, and you don't have to be, you know, sinning. You can be pure until the day of your marriage. And 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 even, you know, we'll get into the divorcees next week. But if you're divorced tonight, let me just give you a hint. You 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 need to get the gift of singleness. You need to get, you know, you need to pray for the spirit of Paul and just say, Lord. You know, if I'm going to do this right, I'm going to remain unmarried for the rest of my life. Help me to be like the Apostle Paul. If God could help Paul do it, God can help you do it. So, you know, you got to have, find some encouragement in that. Go, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So we saw the advice that he gave to the singles, but let's just transition and let's look at the advice for the married couples. And again, that's going to be rare, the person that, that stays single for the rest of their lives or for their whole lives. But look, don't look that don't look at that as a negative. The apostle Paul accomplished great things for God. Because of the fact that he kept his virginity and the fact that he remained single, the apostle Paul is going to be an awesome person in heaven. You know, and he's going to have a lot of rewards and he's going to have a lot. He's going to not have he's not going to have any regrets in heaven. So, you know, if you're single, don't don't think to yourself like, "Oh, you know, my life hasn't even started." Whatever. Don't think that way. You know, God has a plan and a purpose for you. But then Paul gives advice for married couples. Let's look at that real quickly. Go to, go to verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 3. He says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. All right? So the word, you see the word render there? The word render means to provide, to give, or to present. When you render something to someone, you are providing something for them, You are presenting them with something. You are giving them something. He says, let the husband render unto the wife. And by the way, that word render is also translated, that same word is translated in our King James Bible and other places in our King James Bible as the word pay, paid, "perform." reward. So when he says to render, it's like you're giving someone a reward. It's like you're paying them. You are performing a vow. You're giving them something. You are presenting something to them. Then he says this, let the husband's render unto the wife due. You see that word due there? D-U-E, due benevolence. What does the word due mean? It means a required payment. It's like when the rent is due right? You've got to pay it. That word is also translated in our perfect King James Bible as the word debt or debtor, indebted, Oh, always. This is something you owe. So notice what he's saying. He's saying the husband needs to present, needs to provide, needs to reward, needs to give, needs to render unto the wife something that is due her. It's something that he owes her, It's a required payment. He's in debt as a husband to give unto his wife due, notice this word, benevolence. Now, what does the word benevolence mean? The word benevolence means the quality of being well, uh, meaning, or kind. It's also translated in our King James Bible as the two words, goodwill. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, here's advice, advice number one for married couples. When you get married, you owe your spouse benevolence. When you get married, you owe your spouse goodwill and kindness. And it's not that, oh, I'll be kind to them if they're kind to me. No, you owe it to them. Whether they give it back to you, he says, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise, in the same way, also the wife unto the husband. And here's what he's saying. You owe, listen guys, you owe your wife do benevolence. You owe her to be kind to her, to be loving to her, to, to be of goodwill towards her. You owe it to her. And wives, you owe it to your husband to be kind and have goodwill to him. First Corinthians 7, look at verse 33. Skip down to verse 33. Notice what he says. But he that is married, because remember he talked about the single people, they don't have this burden. They don't. They don't have. They don't owe anyone. To they don't Owe anything to anyone. They don't have. Look. They don't have to show due benevolence to anyone. They can stay out all day, soul winning, if they want. They don't got to go home and spend time with anybody. And Paul says, and that's why I was able to work night and day. That's why I was able to do everything that I accomplished. But then he says, but if you're married. If you're married, don't think you're spiritual because you go out and spend 16 hours on Saturday out soul winning and ignore your wife. He says, no, you owe her due benevolence. You owe him due benevolence. Look at verse 33. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world. See, when you're married, you have to care about the things of the world. Why? Because you have to take care of that wife. Because you're supposed to provide for her, which means you need to go, you, you know, you need to go work. You need to make sure she, have a, she has a house and she has a, the, 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 the needs are met for her. He says, he, he says, but he that is married can for the things of the world. Notice what he says, how he may please. his wife. What word please means to make her happy, to make her pleased. It's the same idea of benevolence, goodwill. Look at verse 34. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit, but she that is married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And here's what he's saying. When you got married, it's not about you anymore. And even if it was you and you were super spiritual, now that you're married, you owe it to your spouse to show due benevolence. And look, I I will tell you right now, I am shocked at how I witness women talking to their husbands or husbands talking to their wives. And you know, here's the honest truth, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but if this is you, you should feel bad. We often show more respect to some stranger we've never met. You know, I see wives show more respect to some clerk at a, at a, at a grocery store, and then they come home and they just speak to their husband like he's just nothing. Or vice versa. And you know what? It ought not so to be. Because the Bible says you owe her and you owe him due benevolence. And those things look different. And I don't have time to go through and Ephesians chapter 5 and explain it all to you. If you're having problems in your marriage, you need to go and study Ephesians chapter 5. But let me just give you a quick synopsis, all right? What you say, ladies, what does it mean to show due benevolence to your husband? It means you treat him reverently. Look, I'm just you know, take it or leave it. But you want to have a good marriage, you start respecting your husband and admiring him, and you'll be shocked how he responds to that. And you say, and you husbands, here's here's the advice. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians five: You are to love her sacrificially, like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And you are to love her selflessly, like you say. Well, how do I do that? Well, just figure out how you love yourself and just love her like that, and you'll be shocked. How she starts treating you. You say, why? Because you owe each other due benevolence. You owe it to each other to be kind and of goodwill towards each other. So, advice for married couples. Number one, when you get married, you owe your spouse benevolence. Number two, and this is always where it gets awkward, so let's try to move through it quickly. When you get married, you owe your spouse a physical relationship. Notice verse four. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband... And likewise, so in the same way, also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Now notice, in verse 3 he said that you owe her and you owe him due benevolence. It's something you owe. He continues this idea when he transitions to this thing about owing them a physical relationship. Verse 5, he says defraud. What's it mean to defraud? It means to wrongfully deceive, to take something by deception, to steal. He says you're stealing from your spouse when you withhold from them The physical relationship is defraud you not one another, except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again and say to tempt you not uh, for your incontinency. Now, and that word there means lacking self-restraint or uncontrolled. But I want you to understand. Notice in verse 5, he says defraud you not one another, except it be with with consent. Here's what he's saying. If you're going to go through a season of life where you're not coming together physically, you need to both consent to that. You know, what's, you know what it's not saying? It's, it's not saying, oh, my husband upset me, so I'm going to punish him by not, you know, being with him for the next month. Look, that's wicked. That's wrong. Or vice versa. You know, I, there's this idea out there that, that uh, you know, women don't want to be with their husband. But you know what I found is people are weird. There's guys out there that don't want to be with their, sp- with their wife and there's wives that don't. Look, all of it is wrong. All of it is trash. And here's what I'll tell you. If you develop a marriage where both of you are emotionally satisfied, where both of you are kind and benevolent to each other, where you show him respect and reverence and you show her love and you have also a relationship where you're both physically satisfied, you know what you'll have? You'll have a great marriage. Just take this single man's advice. Because he's got the Holy Spirit of God speaking through him. And he's telling you, look, if you're both emotionally satisfied and you're both physically satisfied, you'll have a great marriage. You'll have a wonderful marriage. And, you know, I don't want to talk too much about it, but let me just say this. If it, when it comes to this thing, notice what he says. Look at verse 5 again. Defry you not one another except to be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And, and I just want you to notice, he's saying, look. There's only one time when you want to withhold from this relationship, and it's when you're fasting. Now, unless you're Moses or Elijah or the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, the only people in the Bible that fasted for 40 days, this is not something that should be, you know, you shouldn't be going six weeks without being with your spouse. And I'm just trying to help you. And look, if you have problems in this area where you don't enjoy it or your spouse doesn't enjoy it, then you need to just give some time and effort and energy into this area and get it right because it's important. You cannot have a good relationship and a good marriage and be suffering in the area of the physical relationship because look what he says at the end of verse 5, that Satan tempt you not. Satan will use this in his life or in her life. So look, if it's you, man, and you're just, you know don't have the drive or what you need to figure out how to fix that and make sure that your wife is both emotionally and physically satisfied. And if it's you, lady, who's just, well, you know, it's been eight weeks, I guess, look, that is wicked as hell. You need to just make sure that he is, you know, emotionally satisfied and physically, and I don't, you know, I don't get this and I understand this because the Lord blessed me with a wonderful wife, but I've we've counseled enough people to know that this is an issue in America for some reason. So, you know, fix it. Don't just think it's no big deal. You need to give some time and energy to both of those areas. Go to 1 Corinthians 7. Look at verse 10. So we saw number one. He says, when you get married, you owe your spouse benevolence. But when you get married, you also owe your spouse a physical relationship. You owe both. So make sure you're working at both. Number three. He says this. Go into marriage determined to keep a lifelong commitment. Look at verse 10. He says, and unto the married I command... Yet not I, but the Lord. And again, he's, 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 the idea is that all of this is inspired. All of this is the word of God. He says, let not the wife depart from her husband. And if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. We'll talk about that next week. And let not the husband put away his wife. You know, the Bible says that the Lord hateth putting away. God hates divorce, and if you're here tonight and you've been divorced, I'm not trying to beat you up. Obviously, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You ask God to forgive you, and you move on. And if you're married, then make sure you go into that marriage committed to a lifelong commitment. But just understand this, God's plan for marriage is one man and one woman for one lifetime. It's a lifelong commitment. Look at verse 39. He says, the wife is is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to marry to, to whom she will, only in the Lord. So the idea is that you are to ma- be married for, for life, until death do us part. Go, go back to First Corinthians seven, look at verse 12. So advice number three: go into marriage determined to keep a lifelong commitment. Here's advice number four: If you are married to an unbeliever. Stay married for the sake of your spouse and your children. Notice what he says in verse 12. He says, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not. Now look, let me just say this. The best thing would be is to not marry someone who's not saved. The Bible says to be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And you'll save yourself a lot of problems by not going down that road. And let me say this. Because we quote that verse about being not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, and and I understand that we apply it to marriage, and that's great. And absolutely, you should not, you know, be getting married to people that are not saved. That'll save you a lot of problems. But let me just give you another advice, and this is something that we talk to our children about, and our children are young, but we talk to them about these things, is make sure that when you marry someone, even when they are saved, marry someone who is your equal. Listen, listen, ladies. If you're on fire for God and you're a soul winner, I'm talking to the single ladies, you're a soul winner, you're on fire for God, you're reading nine chapters a day, you don't want to marry some guy that shows up to church every three weeks. Say, so, oh well, he's 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 saved. Yeah, but is he your equal? You know, you'll find that marriages are hard when you got one who's real spiritual and the other one lacking, especially when the one who's spiritual is the wife. That's that's even worse. But even the other way around, you know, you don't look, let me explain to you. This, this idea, and, and it's, it's, it's came into our movement, and I don't know why, but there's this idea in our movement that the guy can just be on fire for God and just marry some girl that's not spiritual and it'll be fine because she's supposed to leave. That doesn't work. okay That doesn't work. And if you want to go in ministry, that, you will fail in ministry. Your wife needs to be as spiritual as you are. Make sure you find your equal. Make sure your husband's as spiritual as you are because that stuff is ridiculous. Look at verse 12. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any and look, there have been there have been churches in our movement that have failed because the wife wasn't on board. All right. So I'm not just saying that. It's true. It's the way it goes. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Verse 13. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, but if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. Notice he's saying, look, don't don't think, oh, well, I got saved now, and she's not saved, so I'm going to divorce. He said, no, stay with them. Verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Notice what he says. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. He's saying, look, it's worth staying married to someone who's not a believer just for the sake of your children. Because here's the thing, it's better for your children to be raised by mom and dad, even if dad's not saved. Or even if mom's not saved. That's what he's saying. And you know, today you got people that will say, Oh, well, you got to leave him or you got to leave her. You don't want to be in one of these marriages that it's just for the children. That's not what Paul said. Paul said, Look, staying together for the children is a good enough reason to stay together. Yeah, man. Say, Oh, you think I should stay together? You think I should stay with my wife? You know, we're having a rough marriage, but you think I should stay? Because the, the only reason I would stay is for the children. Is that worth saying? Yeah, that's worth staying. And, and you say, Well, what, what advice do you give to those people? Have more children so you'll stay longer. Because, you know, most people end up getting divorced. They get married for 20, they're married for 20 years, 30 years, and then they get divorced when they become these empty nesters. You know, the last child leaves the home and now it's time, time to divorce. You know, just have more children. It's a good enough reason. It's a good enough reason. You know, this idea, should we just get married to not fornicate? Yeah, it's a good idea. That's what Paul said. And it flies in the, in the face of, of what our culture teaches us today. But look, we live in a culture where people think it's normal to become another sex and to sleep with people that are your same sex and, and, to, and to be pedophiles and perverts. That's the world we live in. You really want to get advice from those people? They say, look, they say we're crazy. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine being crazy. If that's normal, let's be crazy. But that's what the Bible says. God, you say, well, You really think we should stay married just for the children? Yeah. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. It's worth saying marriage just for the kids. Verse 15, but if the unbelieving depart, let them depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. We'll deal with that next week. But God hath called us to peace. It's not saying what you think. Verse 16, for what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? You know, you never know. You might eventually get your husband saved. Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? And, and if you connect that to what Peter taught, He said that the way that you could be a blessing to your unbelieving spouse is by living right, by being, you know, wives being submissive and loving and all those things, and you could win your unbelieving spouse. So he says, look, if you're married to an unbeliever, stay married for the sake of your spouse and for the sake of your children. But of course, it would be better to not marry an unbeliever, and it would be better to just find someone who's on board and serving God and loving the Lord. So let me just real quickly, get, you know, run run through the, the the pieces of advice so you can you know make sure you apply them to your to your lives. Advice for singles: Do not have a physical contact with members of the opposite sex. If you cannot keep yourself from fornicating, get married. Take advantage of your freedom and serve God while you're single. And number four, you are not commanded to stay single, but if you can, if you happen to be one of those you know, gifted Pauls who can do something great with your life in singleness, then according to Paul, he says, it's a good idea. Married couples, make sure that, that you understand when you get married, you owe your spouse benevolence. You owe them to be kind to them. You owe them to spend time with them, to talk to them, to communicate with them, to, 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 to render unto your wife and unto your husband due benevolence. And also realize that when you get married, you owe your spouse a physical relationship. And, you know, make sure that your both needs are being met. The emotional and the physical. Number three, go into marriage determined to keep a lifelong commitment. Look, when you get married, just erase the word divorce from your mind. Go, go into the. If you're, if you're one of these people that likes to use the word divorce when you're arguing, don't do, you know, don't do that. But if you do that, you know, go home right now, find every dictionary in your house, and just, and just cut out the word divorce. You know, and and, and if you're single, cut out the word fornicate. You know, and, you know, just get those words out of your out of your mind. It, it, marriage is a lifelong commitment, period. That's what God says. And if you're married to an unbeliever, stay married for the sake of your children and for the sake of your spouse. Who who knows? You may end up getting your spouse saved. Let's pray. And I will have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this chapter where you give us just some very direct teaching, Lord, and I, I pray that you would just help us to receive it, Lord, and help us whatever stage we, of life we happen to find ourselves in, Lord, help us to take the advice for, our, uh, for those that are single and for those that are married, Lord, and I, I pray, I want to pray a special prayer for our singles in this church, Lord, that you would help them to maintain their purity. And help them, Lord, to flee fornication and help them to serve you in their singleness, Lord, and to serve you with their lives and to, to remember their creator in the days of their youth. And, and, and Father, I'd like to pray a special blessing on our married couples. Lord, and I just pray you'd strengthen the marriages in this church. I pray, Lord, if, if, they're have, if their marriage is lacking in the emotional connection and the benevolence, Lord, help them to begin to communicate and talk. There's so many couples that just don't talk. They're not friends with each other, Lord. Help them to develop those friendships. And Lord, if they're lacking in the physical relationship, help them to, to endeavor to fix that and to get that correct, Lord, as you would have it, Lord. And I just pray you'd bless our married couples and strengthen our families and strengthen our children. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a wonderful wife. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen.